dripping out of the cone and landing on the floor of the cave. Ooh-wee, I hope that old hairy man doesn't come now. Most of his time was spent fishing, fixing nets, tending his land, looking after the chickens. We love it's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales, personal tales, fairy tales, historical tales, and more. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, and it's going to be a great hour today. You know, life is full of opportunities to make choices, isn't it? Whether we're deciding what to wear to school, what to eat for lunch, which book we should read, we're constantly confronted with choices, and it's up to us what we choose to do. It's always nice when we make a choice and things turn out just the way we want, the way we expect. But that's not always the way it goes. Sometimes there are unintended consequences of our choices and sometimes we just make the wrong choice. And in today's stories, we'll get to see how some individuals deal with unintended consequences of the choices they make. And uh, we're going to hear from Simon Brooks and Tim Lowry, great storytellers both. But introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear. We've got in the studio Kendra Hanna. It's such a pleasure to have Kendra with us. Kendra, it's a story by the great storyteller and musician David Holt we're going to hear now, isn't it? It is indeed a little bit of a spooky one. Uh, we're going to be hearing the story of a boy named Wiley um, and a creature called the Hairy Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wiley and the Hairy Man. You know, sometimes we look for, we, we 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 have in our mind kind of the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen, you know, and, uh, and we forget sometimes that there is as rich and strange a storytelling tradition, characters that are as rich and strange right here in the, in the mountain country of the United States, right? And that's where this story comes from. Yes, it does. And I think, I think that that is so fun. Like, oh, this happened here. <laughs> that's right. Well, the story is, again, Wiley and the Hairy Man. This is a story that has been told by so many different storytellers and been adapted for the stage and in storybooks and things like that. The person that you're going to hear telling it now is David Holt, of course, the Grammy-winning storyteller and musician. And uh, we always love to hear from David Holt. Here's Wiley and the Hairy Man on the Appleseed. Once a long time ago, there lived a boy named Wiley. And one day Wiley had to go down to the swamp to get himself some bamboo to make himself a chicken roost. When he left out of the house, his mama said, Wiley, Wiley, now you be careful when you go down to the swamp because the hairy man will get you if you don't watch out. You see, Wiley's mama had lived her whole life down along the banks of the Tom Bigby River. She knew all about the hairy man. She said, now, Wiley, you take your hound dogs with you, because the old hairy man, he's afraid of hound dogs. Well, Wiley said he would, and he whistled up his dogs, and he picked up his axe, and he started off down to the swamp. He hadn't gone too far till he found himself a nice big stand of bamboo trees. He pulled out his axe, and he started to chop. <laughs> All of a sudden, 
his dogs heard a wild pig run by, and they started to chase it. Sound like this. They got so far away, Wiley couldn't even hear those dogs. He just kept on chopping and thinking, Ooh-wee, I hope that old hairy man doesn't come now. But when he looked up, there he was coming right for him. Now he was big, and he was hairy. He had eyes that glowed like coals. He had long, white, pointy teeth with green moss growing all over him. He had long claws on the ends of his fingers, and he had hooves like a cow. When Wiley saw those hooves like a cow, well, he knew a cow couldn't climb a tree, figured the hairy man couldn't either. Turned around and found himself a, a big, tall tree and climbed right up to the top. Hung over the edge and looked down. He said, Hello, hairy man. The hairy man looked up and said, Hello, Wiley. Wiley said, uh, What you got in your big old sack there, hairy man? The hairy man held up his sack and said, I got nothing in it yet, Wiley, but I will pretty soon. <laughs> he put down the sack. He picked up Wiley's axe, and he started chopping on the tree that Wiley was in. <laughs> Wiley knew he had to do something, so he called out for his dogs. <laughs> and he listened. chased the hairy man right out of the swamp. While he came down out of that tree, he went home and he told Mama what happened. She said, Wiley, that is so good. She said, you fooled the hairy man. She said, I've always heard that if you can fool the hairy man three times, he'll never bother you again. You've already fooled him once. She said, I got an idea. Tomorrow, you go back down to the swamp. Leave your hound dogs tied up here at home. Go down by yourself. And when you see that hairy man, you say, Hairy man, I hear you're the best conjure man in these parts. Wiley said, What's a conjure man, Mama? That's a man that can do magic, Wiley. You ask that hairy man to turn himself into some big kind of animal, and he can do that. And then ask him to turn himself into something smaller. He can do that. And then ask him to turn himself into something smaller yet. And when he gets to be a little small animal, you pick him up, you throw him in that sack, you run down to the river, and you throw that sack in the river. While I said, ooh, mama, I don't know if I can do that. She said, you can do it, Wiley. I know you can. He said, I'll try. So the next morning, Wiley got some big stout rope, and he tied his dogs up to the tree and went down to the swamp all by himself. He hadn't gone far when he looked up and he saw the hairy man coming right for him. He said, hello, hairy man. The hairy man said, hello, Wiley. Wiley says, I, I hear you're the best conjure man in these parts. Well, I reckon I am, Wiley. I, I bet you can't turn yourself into something like a, a giraffe. That's easy. The old hairy man just turned once around and turned into a big old long-necked giraffe. 
Wiley looked up. He said, Ooh, that's pretty good. But I bet you can't turn yourself into something like an alligator. That giraffe turned once around and turned into a big, long-jawed alligator right there in front of Wiley. Wiley jumped back. He said, Ooh, that's real good. But I bet you can't turn yourself into something smaller like, like a little possum. That alligator turned once around and turned into a little possum with long white teeth with green moss growing on them. Wiley ran up. He picked up that possum. He held it out in the sack. He dropped it in the sack, and he went running down to the river. He got to the river, and he threw it out as far as he could into the water. And it sank to the bottom. Oh, he went home feeling fine. When he looked up and he saw the hairy man coming right for him out of the woods, he said, Hairy man, how'd you get out of that sack? The hairy man said, Wiley, I just turned myself into the wind and blew myself away. <laughs> Wiley turned around, looked for a tall tree. He found one, climbed right to the top, right next to a little bird's nest. He knew he had to do some fast thinking. He said, uh, Say, hairy man. I bet you can't make things disappear. Now that's what I do best, Wiley. You see that little bird's nest? The old hairy man just looked up at that bird's nest and it was gone. Wiley said, uh, uh, no, I didn't see that bird's nest, but I bet you can't make this shirt on my back disappear. Now the old hairy man, he just looked up at that shirt and it was gone. Wiley said, well, it was just a cheap old shirt anyway. I, I bet you can't make this rope around my waist disappear. My mama conjured this rope, and it's magic. Now that made the hairy man mad. He said, Wiley, I can make all the rope in this whole countryside disappear if I want to. You can, but let me see you then. All right. Ungai, mungai, chicka, chaka, chunga, alligator, ungai. All the rope in this whole countryside disappeared. At that moment, the rope was gone from around Wiley's waist. He had to hold up his pants with one hand. He had to hold on the tree with the other. But he knew that rope was gone from around those dogs' necks back at home. And he called out for his dogs. <laughs> and he listened. They came through there. They chased the hairy man right out of the swamp, right down the middle of an old dirt road. There was no Model A Ford coming through there. It almost ran over the hairy man and the dogs, too. <laughs> Wiley came out of the tree, went home and told his mama what happened. She said, oh, Wiley, that is so good. You did it again. She said, I got one more idea. Go out back and get our little baby pet pig we keep and bring it to me. Oh, Wiley went out and got their little pet pig. She said, now, 
Give me the pig. And she took it out of Wiley's hands and put it in Wiley's bed and pulled the cover over the pig's head. Then she put the dogs in the closet and closed the door. Then she locked the front door and she said, Wiley, you go on up into the attic and you don't come down till I tell you to. Well, Wiley crawled up the ladder to the attic. He heard the night start to fall and the wind start to blow. Then they heard the old hairy man on the front porch knock on the door. Wiley's mama said, Who is it? It's me, the hairy man. I come for your young'un. She said, Oh, hairy man, you can't have my young'un. You give me that young'un or I'll bring down the lightning and I'll burn down your house. She said, Oh, hairy man, I got plenty of sweet milk. I can put out your old fire. You give me that young'un or I'll bring a million bow weevils up out of the ground and eat up everything you got. She said, oh, Harry, man, that's mighty mean. You wouldn't do a thing like that. He said, I'm a mighty mean man. Now open that door and give me that young'un now. She said, okay, if I give you my young'un, you promise you'll never come back and bother me again? I'll never come back. She didn't say another word. She just unlocked the door, opened it up, pointed over to Wiley's bed. The old hairy man walked in the house, reached under the covers, expecting to pull out Wiley, but all he heard was, Hey, it's just a pig. She said, Well, you didn't say which of my young'uns I had to give you. She opened up that closet door. Those dogs ran out of there, chased the hairy man out of the house and down to the swamp. Wiley came down from the attic. He said, Mama, is the hairy man gone? She said, He's gone, Wiley. We fooled him three times, and he'll never be back to bother us again. Wiley and the Hairy Man, told for you by David Holt. It's been my pleasure to listen to that story together with Kendra Hanna, one of our assistant producers. Kendra, what a story. Yes, I think that this story is so much fun, and I love the hairy man, and he (laughs) reminds me of a character, of two characters actually, that I was terrified of when I was a child, and I'm not sure if they're like canonical, if other people know about them, but my (laughs) older cousin would always tell me scary stories about bloody bones and scary eyes. And I just remember thinking that they were going to come into my room and they were going to get me. They never did, thank goodness, but I thought that the hairy man was like them. Bloody bones and scary (laughs) eyes. Oh, now I feel like I want to make up a bunch of bloody bones and scary eyes stories, right? Absolutely. Why not? Someone should. (laughs) That's right. Well, what a pleasure to hear that story from a great storyteller and musician, David Holt. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's so great to have you with us on today's episode of The Apple Seed. Simon Brooks with a story called The Fairy Bride coming up in just a little bit. And we'll also hear a story called A Drop of Honey from the great South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry. But first, because we know that sharing memories can sometimes be the spark that inspires the sharing of memories at your place around the kitchen table or the living room. We'll share a memory of mine. This is a memory memory associated with the very space I'm sitting in right now talking to you. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. I work every day in a recording studio, and part of any recording studio worth its salt is that it has stuff hanging on the walls to control the way sound waves act in the room. Stuff on the walls to reduce the degree to which sound bounces from the walls or the ceiling in a way that's going to mess up the sonic quality of what gets recorded for you to hear. I've recorded in studios with all kinds of stuff on the walls. I've recorded in studios that have quilts hung on the walls to dampen the sound. And I've recorded in studios that have carpeted the walls to do the same thing. And I've been in studios in which the walls and ceiling are covered in those foam mattresses shaped like egg crates, you know the ones? And I've been in studios where the sound has been controlled by insulation, you know, the pink fiberglass stuff that comes in a big roll, that kind of insulation, covered in burlap. In the studio where I work most often, the studio in my home, the studio where I am right now, the walls have these fancy baffles made of this special acoustic foam treatment set into wooden frames. And they're just hung on the walls like you might hang pictures, resting on nails pounded into the studs beneath the sheetrock on the walls. There's not much to it. Not much that's remarkable about it, and not much that's less remarkable than you'd want it to be. But... Have you ever got an itch to change something, a little sense of something with which you'd be a tiny bit more comfortable if only it were a tiny bit different, something that no one would understand but you? Well, I had one of those itches working in the studio a few days ago. I thought, you know, the nails I used to mount those baffles are a little small. I bet they'd be a little more secure if I took them down and removed those short nails and pounded in some longer nails and then hung the baffles back up. Now, this is, in fact, as silly as it sounds. The baffles were in no danger of coming off the wall. They'd hung safely up there for years. The nails that held them on the wall were just fine. And no one ever sees the nails. There was no way anyone could be critical of them. Everything was just great. It was just great. But, you know, somehow I hadn't found exactly what I was looking for. Maybe you know the feeling. There's nothing wrong with what you have, except that you've got another idea that won't let go of you. And, well, I went out to the shed and I got a couple of three-inch nails and a hammer and I came back into the studio and I took the frames with the acoustic foam off the walls and I yanked out the old nails and right into the holes left by the old nails, I pounded new nails. But about halfway in, the first nail began to bend. And I tried to pull it out with the claw of the hammer to take another shot at pounding the nail straight. 
He was really stuck in there. I braced the head of the hammer on the wall and really put some muscle into it. So much muscle, as it turns out, that the head of the hammer pushed right through the sheetrock before the nail came out. It left a big, ragged hole in the wall, and the nail was still there. Well, that little itch I described, that little itch to change a little something to make things a little better, in this case, almost imperceptibly better. One might, in fact, say imperceptibly better. Well, by now, I was cursing that itch under my breath. The nail, in the end, wouldn't come out at all. No idea what I'd run into. I got another nail and pounded it into the stud, now completely exposed due to the enormous hammer-shaped hole in the wall. And now I tripped to the store for a can of joint compound and then back to the studio where I patched up the hole. I vacuumed up the sheetrock dust made by the initial hammerhead through the wall. And when the joint compound was dry, I hung the baffle back on the wall. And... Well, it looked and sounded and behaved exactly like it had before, and all it had cost me was a whole morning. You've probably had similar adventures. It happens. Something isn't quite right for reasons that only you can understand. You still haven't quite found what you're looking for, and you think it's going to take just a moment to get everything squared away, and suddenly you're up to your elbows in a project. It's all good, of course. Projects gone wrong are one of the ways you learn to tackle projects in the right way. At least that's been my experience. You learn stuff by experience, and sometimes you're just glad no one was around to see it. As far as this project goes, if you drop by the studio for a visit when it's good and safe, you'll find that the result of my morning's work is that the studio looks and sounds exactly like it did before I started. The only thing changed, really, is me. At least, I hope that's the case. We'll find out the very next time I get an itch and embark on another project. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. There's a lot more coming up. We're going to hear from Simon Brooks with a story called The Fairy Bride. And we'll hear a story from the South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry as well, a story called A Drop of Honey. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we read, through the tales that we tell, telling to telling around kitchen tables or living rooms, through podcasts and radio, and of course, uh, even through food and great songs and the things that we choose to see on screen. And talking about all of the ways in which great stories get into our hearts and minds is something that we love to do here on the Appleseed. I'm joined in the studio by Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. I am so excited to be here to talk to you about this film, Sam. Jeff, of course, is the producer of The Appleseed, and as a big film buff, we always love having him come by to talk about a movie that has affected him. And today, we're talking about a great one. Yeah. You know, there was a time when uh, Pixar 
could do no wrong, right? <laughs> right? They just continue to crank out one great movie after another, and then they, they kind of hit a couple of speed bumps, ironically, once they hit some of those Cars <laughs> speed movies, bumps, right? Speed bumps, ha ha, I saw what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, they started to get back into some of those really creative choices that when they would would release the trailers for these movies, you started to feel like, all right, Pixar, I'm not exactly sure where you're going with this, but I'm going to trust you, yeah. right? And one of those films that I felt this way was Coco. Coco. I remember seeing the trailer for it with my wife, my wife saying, well, that looks dumb. And... <laughs> We went to see this film and were completely blown away by it, Sam. Yeah. Now, I should mention that this is a film that we took the entire family to. And, you know, this is a few years ago. So some of my kids were maybe a little too small to be in a movie theater and expected to behave well or to hold their bladders, right? Oh, for the entirety of the, the movie. Way. Right. And this is a the, film. A rite of passage, isn't it? For yeah. a kid to start going to the theater? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a film about remembering, right? Yeah. Remembering those who have passed on. And in a very real sense, in this film, if you don't remember those have pa who have passed on, then they are completely forgotten. And in this land of the dead, they cease to exist, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it really drives that point home even further. And it's one of those movies that you scratch your heads at uh, at the end of the movie and you think, wait a minute, Pixar just made a movie about family history. I didn't know you could do that, right? <laughs> but there's a scene toward the end of the film where uh, the protagonist of this film, little Miguel, who ventures to the land of the dead and meet some of his ancestors, right? Yeah. And um, he is singing a song to his great-grandma Coco. And this is a song that throughout the film, the meaning of this song has changed, yeah. right? Yeah. At first, it's just a, a nice popular song by this famous artist. Then it becomes a song that is being sung to a daughter to remember me while I'm away on my travels, right? Yeah. And now it is being sung by a great-grandchild to his great-grandmother, pleading with her to remember uh, and another ancestor, otherwise he will cease to exist, right? Yeah. And she's senile, she's losing her memory. And um, in fact, uh, I was fighting with one of my kids at this very emotional moment of the movie, they, they wanted to go to the bathroom, and I was like, be quiet, as we're starting to hear this music pop up on the screen. Remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you The only way that I can be Until you're in my arms again So, yeah, imagine yeah. me struggling with my kid and them saying, I have to go to the bathroom, and I'm saying, be quiet. You're ruining the best part of the movie. Yeah, but I was just, I was so surprised seeing this movie, and it was a great reminder to me that, you know, I need to share stories of those who've passed on, and I need to learn about my ancestors because that's that's how they're going to live on. Yeah, and what, what a lovely, you, you, you make mention of that song, right? And what a lovely use of... Of a, of a song. What a wonderful use of a song that, as you say, means one thing at the beginning of the film and another thing in the middle of the film and, and
and and you you're and and another thing at the end of the film right and you're you're uh sort of finding your way into the weight of these themes right through hearing kind of the repetition of this song that again grows in depth and meaning every time you hear it yeah it's really marvelous little little tidbit about uh about this actor who plays miguel he was just kind of a fill-in voice actor. You know, they would have him read lines with some of the other actors that were yeah. coming in to to do their parts. And but they hadn't really ever cast the part of Miguel. So at some point they were so pleased with what he was doing and his singing and the emotion that he put into these lines that they just surprised him. I think they had this big cake that said Surprise, you're our Miguel. And boy, did he do a terrific job in this movie. Boy, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a rich... I, that, that's the word that I use to describe this movie. It's just so rich, rich in this theme of family and so such a rich visual experience. Kind of, Pixar kind of went gangbusters. Yeah, this is, in my opinion, it's the last great Pixar movie that we've seen and it's certainly one of my favorites. Wow, well, Coco, a great Pixar film and it's great to have Jeff Simpson to discuss it with us. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us to talk a little bit about how that great story got into your heart and mind. Now don't you forget me, Sam. <laughs> never, never. You will be with us even in the land of the dead, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Always a pleasure to have our producer Jeff Simpson with us. We'll have him back. There's a lot more coming up this hour on The Appleseed. You're going to hear from Simon Brooks uh, with a story called The Fairy Bride up next. And you won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you with us today on The Appleseed. Always such a pleasure to share this time with you. Top of the hour, you heard a story called A Hairy Man from the great musician and storyteller David Holt. You heard a little entry in the Radio Family Journal about hanging baffles in the studio. And, of course, a conversation with Jeff Simpson, our producer, about Coco. And up next, we've got something from Simon Brooks. The Fairy Bride is the name of this story. And in this traditional British fairy tale, a humble fisherman finds himself in search of a story to tell at the yearly winter solstice festival. When he comes across a beautiful young woman who desires a ride in his boat to the island at the middle of the lake where she lives... What kind of story will the fisherman find himself living? Well, find out in The Fairy Bride, told for you by Simon Brooks, here on The Appleseed. In the long-ago time before there were kings and queens. In the long-ago time when chieftain ruled villages and villages were tribes. There was once a boatman, a fisherman, called Hagen. Hagen made his living fishing. He lived on a croft on the side of a great lock. His croft gave him food for the summer and for the winter, and he raised chickens for eggs and for meat. He wasn't a social man. 
Most of his time was spent fishing, fixing nets, tending his land, looking after the chickens. He didn't have much time for socialising. He, he was lonely, but it was neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It was just the way things were. He always looked forward to the great feast that the chieftain held every year. The feast of the winter solstice. A time to celebrate the end of the long, dark days and the return of light. When Hagen arrived at the festivities, people were already sat down, eating and drinking. He walked in between the tables, he walked in between the benches, and greeted old friends, caught up on old news, found out who died, who'd been born, who'd married whom, who'd left the village, seeking fortunes elsewhere. There was a great deal of food that was being eaten, a great deal of drink that was being drunk. And halfway through the night, the chieftain rose from his bench and slammed his mead cup down on the table and said, I'd like your attention, please. Uh, this year is going to be different to any other year. You see, you're going to have to pay for the foods that you're eating and the drink that you're drinking. And I have to say that I've been watching you consume an awful lot. Nah, don't worry, don't worry. I'll not ask you to pay in money or in eggs or chickens or anything like that, no. I want you to entertain each other. Every one of you is going to take a turn up, up here with me on the high table. And you're going to either sing a song, dance a dance, play a tune on some instrument or another. And if you cannot do that, then you'll be telling us a story to entertain us. Now who's first? Two brothers got up and they sang a sweet ballad to the rest of the attendees at that festival, at that feast. One after another, people went up. There were sisters who danced, brothers who sang, cousins and aunts and uncles who played instruments. There was fiddles played, there were pipes played, there were drums beaten. It was a wonderful evening. But Hagen got more and more uncomfortable as the evening wore on. Hagen, you see, felt that his fingers were too fat and stiff from fishing and mending nets to play an instrument. And if it came to singing, well, and when Hagen ever attempted to sing, the cats would run away, dogs would bury their ears beneath their paws. The sounds were so terrible that came from his mouth. And when it came to dancing, well, people guessed that he had two left feet given to him at birth. If he didn't trip himself up, he was bound to trip up at least one or two other people. And storytelling. What can I tell as a story? Hey, last night I caught this fish. It was much bigger than the last one I caught the night before. Oh, it's huge. That's not much of a story. Hagen got more and more nervous as the evening wore on. He decided to get outside for some fresh air, maybe come up with a plan, come up with an idea of what he could do to entertain the rest of his villagers. When he stepped outside, the air was crisp. It was, there was, there was something magical about the air. The moon was full and high up in the sky, its silver rays reflected in the lake. The evening seemed so much more magical and ethereal. He heard 
a woman's voice. He, he turned and looked behind him, and there next to the shore was a woman crying. What's wrong? He said. Are you all right? The woman wept and, and said, I, I live on the island, the island in the centre of the lock, and I can't make my way back. Nobody lives out there on the island. It's barren. There's nothing but rocks and mosses. There's nothing out there. Nobody could live on that rock. But I do, she said. She insisted that she lived out on that island, the rocky island. She was so upset that Hagen said, All right, all right, I'll take you. I have a boat. It's just here. Come on, jump in. I'll row you across there. What's your name? The young woman said. Hagen? What's yours? Faye, said the woman. She was beautiful. Her features were striking, even in the, in the moonlit night. He could tell that her hair was gold and her eyes, her eyes, oh, they were so deep, brown. There was, there was a hidden depth in those eyes that he'd never seen before in any other person. Facing the mainland with his back to the island, the oars plunged into the water and with good long strokes, he quickly made his way towards the island. They talked about many different things. They talked about children, although neither of them had any. They talked about family. They talked about friends. They talked about the chieftain. They talked about life. They laughed and they joked. And that row ride to the island was made so short with their conversation that he was taken by surprise when his boat brushed up against the shore. He climbed out and pulled the boat up further on the beach and helped Faye out. Now where is it you said you lived? You say you lived on this island, but there's nothing but rocks. No, she said. Come with me. And she took his hand toward a path that he'd never seen there before when he'd visited the island. He made his way up the pathway. Her hand in his she leading him to a cottage, a beautiful cottage. C come inside. I want you to meet my mother and my aunt. Uh, have a have a dram or something. Uh, maybe we can fit you some food. It's it's a long row over here. Uh, I'd like to give you something uh, for your energy to get back. Aye, that would be nice, said Hagen. And so he came inside and was introduced to Faye's mother and aunt. The three women sat Hagen down and got some food and some drink, and they sat and talked and ate and drank. And then, when the food was done, they sat down in some comfortable chairs next to a nice warming fire. Hagen, to his utter embarrassment, fell asleep. It was only for a second, but he was so ashamed of himself. I'm so sorry, said Hagen. I, I, I don't know what came over me. Look, I, I should be going. It's getting late. I, I kind of spend the night here with, with three beautiful women here uh, on my own. I, I should be going. No, said Faye. Stay. Stay here a while longer. Stay here tonight. I cannot spend the night here with three women. What would people say? It'll be different if we were married, but we're not. I cannot stay here. I have to go. No, stay. But, but what would people say if I stayed? Well, then marry me, said Faye. Marry you? He looked at Faye, and she looked at him with her deep eyes. What would you be wanting somebody like me for? A gnarly fisherman like myself? 
Uh, you're quite the catch, she said with a smile on her face. You're serious, aren't you? I am, she said. He thought about his, his life alone in the croft. He thought how much he liked this woman that sat across from him. He loved her. He knew that. You'd marry me. I, I would. Then let's get married, said Hagen. And so Faye's mother and aunt performed the necessary ceremonies, and Hagen and Faye were married, and Hagen spent the night at that cottage on the island in the middle of the loch. And he spent the night there, the next night there, and the night after that. In fact, he didn't leave the island at all. He stayed there. They had everything they needed. They had, they had some goats, chickens. They had food enough for all of them. There was no need to leave the island. Everything they needed was there. Time flew by. The days turned to weeks, weeks to months. And soon, Faye was carrying a baby. And it wasn't long before they had six wee barons running around the island, the air filled with their laughter, with their joy. Hagen loved his children. Hagen loved his wife, and she loved him too. One day when he was playing with the children and amongst the reeds on one side of the island, one of the boys found a pole and pulled it out of the reeds. The, the pole was flattened out at one end, broader than the rest of it. He asked his father what it was. Hagen took it in his hands and turned it around. I don't know why I know this, but I think it's an oar. Aye, I'm certain that this is an oar. But I don't know why I know this. He looked in the rushes and he saw something that looked like a, a really large bathtub. One end of it was flat, however, and the front end of it was pointed. He climbed into it. It was made of wood and found another oar in it. Aye, and this is a boat, he said to his children as they looked at him. Are you going to be all right, father? I'll be fine. I remember what this is. And he pushed himself out of the reeds with one of the oars, set them into the cradles, the rollocks, and with one stroke pushed himself away from the island. Where are you going, father? Ah, this is fun. This is fun. I used to do this all the time. I remember now. And he rowed some more and more, and he laughed and waved at the children, and the children laughed and waved back. His arms felt good. The air through his lungs felt good. Another big, strong pull on the oars. And the boat cut through the waves again. The children got smaller and smaller. He could hardly hear them now. And then he saw his wife, Faye. She joined the children and she waved madly at him. And he waved madly back. I'll be right back, he said. She was shouting and waving at him, but he couldn't make out the words but he'd forgotten the feeling of rowing and, and how good it felt, how deep inside him this was. And he rowed and he rowed, and suddenly the boat came upon the mainland shore. He tried to push the boat off, but he couldn't get it off the beach. So he climbed out of the boat, stood on the mainland, and walked the boat into the lock once more, jumped into it, and began to row back. But as he rowed back, the air started to change. The sky got 
darker and darker and darker, but it wasn't as if there was a storm. It was as if the day had suddenly ended. Stars came out into the sky. A full moon was right there, high above him. He rode to the island and beached his boat, pulled it up onto the shore, and made his way to the path. But the path had gone. There's only one island on the lock. Where's the path? I've walked it a thousand times. In the blackest of nights. In the brightest of days. Where's the path gone? He made his way over the rocks and over the brush. Where's the cottage gone? He called out for Fay. He called out for his children. But only his voice echoed back. In the chill night. He ran around the island and looked in every nook and cranny, every cove and inlet of the island, the small island that it was. He searched it, crying out again and again for his wife and his children. Tears began to pour down his face. He climbed back into his boat and rowed back to the mainland. His boat beached. He pulled it up onto the shore. He ran towards the village, towards the chieftain's hut, to the halls. As he made his way in, the whole village was there. There was Jimmy Mack, playing the fiddle. He'd been playing that fiddle. How many years ago was it now when I left? He was playing the same song as well. The song finished and he ran up to the chieftain. I've, I've lost my wife and my children. What are you talking about, lost your wife? You're not married. You have no children. Where have you been anyway? We've been looking for you. It's about time you came up and, and did some kind of entertainment. No, what do you mean I'm not married? I've been married for years. I have six children. Six children? How can you have six children when you've, when you've just been outside for five minutes? That's impossible, said the chieftain. No, said Hagen, it's true. And Hagen told the chieftain the story of the woman, Faye, that he'd met outside, how he'd rowed her to the island, and they'd lived together in a cottage and had six sweet burns. Tears rolled down his face. When I got back to the island, she'd gone, the house had gone, my burns are gone, my life has gone. Hey, that's a good story, Hagen. That's the best story yet. No one's going to be able to talk that story. It's not a story, it's true, I tell you. It's true. Aye, you certainly tell it as if it's true. Hagen did not remarry. Every year, on the winter solstice, he would row out to the island, hoping that some miracle would occur, hoping that he would find Faye and their six children his mother-in-law, Faye's aunt, the cottage with the goats and the chickens, hoping beyond hope that one day he would row out there and find them waiting for him. But the years went by, and the years went by. His hair went white and slowly began to fall from his head. His hands froze in arthritis. That year when he rode out there, he thought to himself that this was going to be the last year that he'd be able to make his way out to the island. He could barely grasp the oars as he rode across the lock. 
the moon was full in the sky when he beached his boat, climbed out of it. And his old stooped frame, with the few remaining white hairs, and his gnarled hands pulling the rope, pulling the boat up onto the shore, he turned, and there he saw Fay, as young and beautiful as she had always been, with her arms open, her voice calling him, and the six children smiling and laughing as Hagen made his way up the path and towards the cottage that was their home. Fairy Bride, a story told for you by Simon Brooks, who sounds like he lives in the UK where this story came from, but lives in instead New London, New London in New Hampshire. Always a pleasure to hear from Simon Brooks. And our last story today comes from Tim Lowry, the South Carolina storyteller. It's a folk tale from Arabia. We'll get to follow the journey of a hunter and his efforts to sell a jar of honey he's collected from a cave in the woods to a local merchant. Of course, while there, he doesn't notice a little drip of honey fall to the floor. And after all, how much trouble could a single drop of honey cause? Well, here's Tim Lowry with the story. It's called A Drop of Honey from a collection called Folk Tales from Around the World. Tim Lowry on the Appleseed. A Drop of Honey, A Tale from Arabia Once there was a hunter, who every day would take his faithful dog, his bow and his arrow, and go into the forest to hunt wild game. He would then sell the meat in the market to earn money for his family. One day, when he took his bow, arrow, and his dog into the forest, there came a great thunderstorm. And to stay out of the way of the thunder and the lightning, the hunter hid in a mountain cave. While he was inside the mountain cave, he saw a huge beehive hanging from the ceiling of the cave. The beehive had a huge honeycomb dripping full of sweet golden honey. The honey was dripping out of the comb and landing on the floor of the cave. And the hunter thought to himself, Hmm, if I can catch no meat today because of the thunderstorm, I could at least take some of this honey into the market and sell that in the place of meat. So he emptied out his great water jug and set it underneath the honeycomb so that the honey would drip into the jug. By the time the thunderstorm had passed, the jug was filled with honey, so he called his dog and carried the honey jug into the marketplace and found a merchant who ran a spice shop. The merchant said he would be pleased to buy the honey and asked the hunter to pour the honey from his jug into a weighing pan so he could see exactly how much it was worth. 
When the hunter poured the honey from the jug into the weighing pan, one single drop of honey fell, <whistles> boink, and landed on the floor of the shop. No one noticed it. It was just one little drop of honey. But there were two flies on the wall of the shop, and as soon as the honey hit the floor, they flew down from the wall and landed on either side of the drop of honey and started to argue over who was going to get to eat this delicious morsel. <coughs> the flies were arguing over a single drop of honey. Now, when the flies were arguing, there was a bird perched in the windowsill. And when the bird heard the flies arguing, he swooped through the open window, landed in the floor, and gobbled up both the flies. And then the bird flapped his wings and sang a beautiful song, pleased with himself that he had made such a fine dinner of the two flies. <whistles> the bird was singing about eating two flies, who had been arguing over a single drop of honey. Now, when the bird started singing his song, the merchantman's cat, which lay on the counter, leaped off the counter and gobbled up the bird. Then the cat sat back on his haunches and started to lick his paws, very pleased with himself for making such a fine meal of the bird. The cat had eaten the bird, who had eaten two flies, who were arguing over a single drop of honey. Now, as soon as the cat started to purr, the merchantman did not see that the hunter's dog was sitting right near the door. The dog flew through the open door and gobbled up the cat, and then sat back on his haunches and gave a great howl because he had made such an excellent meal of the cat. The dog was howling because he had eaten a cat. The cat had eaten a bird. The bird had eaten two flies who had been arguing over a single drop of honey. Now when the merchantman saw that the hunter's dog had eaten his cat, he drew out a sword and stabbed the hunter. The hunter fell down dead right next to his dog who had eaten a cat who had eaten a bird who had eaten two flies, who had argued over a single drop of honey. Now when the hunter's family saw that the merchant had killed their father, they rushed in and slew the merchant. The merchant died at the hands of the hunter's family. His dog had eaten the merchant's cat, who had eaten a bird, who had eaten two flies, who were arguing over a single drop of honey. Now, when the two families saw that their fathers were dead, one clan declared war on the other clan, and then one village declared war on the other village, and soon there was fighting and chaos because one man had died, because he had slain the other man, whose dog had eaten his cat, who had eaten a bird, who had eaten two flies, who were arguing over a single drop of honey. And that, the ancients tell us, is how war got started. The whole thing, for centuries now, has been over a single drop of honey. ¶¶
Tim Lowry, a storyteller from South Carolina who collects and tells stories from all over the world. Traditional tales, personal tales, family tales. It's always a pleasure to bring you a little something from our friend Tim. Before that, of course, you heard The Fairy Bride, a story told for you by Simon Brooks. That's from a collection called A Tangle of Tales. And uh, you can find both Tim and Simon online. Look them up for all kinds of online fun with great stories and great storytellers. Pleasure also to bring you today a story at the top of the hour called Harry Man from the Grammy-winning storyteller and musician David Holt. And of course, a pleasure to bring you entries in the Radio Family Journal and a conversation with a friend. Today, that conversation was with our producer, Jeff Simpson. Always a pleasure to chat with Jeff. This hour was written by Kendra Hanna. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. In the meantime, find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or Google the Appleseed podcast for something new just about every day on the show. And of course, we love to hear from you. Send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.